Well, good morning to all of you. Glad that you're here today. Um, before we get started, I know we start this way sometimes, not all the time, uh, but I want to pray one more time and just make sure that I'm ready uh, to deliver what I believe God wants us to hear. And, um, and if you're willing, everybody's eyes should be closed because we're praying. I can't promise that, but uh, if you're willing to receive what God has for you this morning, only if, then I would invite you to open your hands and just lift them out like this, and I'm going to do the same. If you're not willing and you're not quite sure that you're ready to receive what God has for you this morning, uh, then don't do that because lying to God is not a good idea. Um, it just isn't. And so um, let's pray, and then we're going to jump in, all right? God, we are here ready for you. No matter what you want to do, we are ready. Because if it's you, then we need it. And it's going to be the best thing for us. So help me to speak clearly, boldly. But more than anything, I pray that you and your spirit would just move amongst us in this place. And may we be prepared as our hands are out and open to receive what you have for us today. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome to Northridge. Glad that you guys are here. Uh, for those of you who are here for the very first time, we're excited that you're here. Uh, we don't take it lightly that you have jumped into a new place and a new group of people to, to check things out for the first time. So thanks for being here uh, today. Uh, we are in the series, as Laura mentioned uh, just a couple of minutes ago, we're in a series called Great Stories of the Bible, and we have been digging in to uh, the great, the big stories of the, of the Bible, of God's Word. And, and these are stories that probably not only people who believe in Jesus, believe in God have heard, but probably a lot of people have heard about. Maybe they don't know the story, but they've heard about them. And uh, so we've talked about David and Goliath. We've talked about Noah and the ark last week. This week, we're going to talk about another big story, maybe not quite as famous, uh, but this one is Jonah and the fish, or Jonah and the whale, as it's sometimes called. And so when I say that, you might think of like something like this, right? You might think of like, oh, Jonah and the whale. Oh, it's so cute. Let's, let's make some bright colors and paint it on our children's wing when we actually get a building, <laughs> you know, something like that, right? I mean, we, we, we think about like, you know, Jonah and the whale and Noah's the ark. We kind of think of these as like nice Sunday school stories where we teach the kids and we have nice bright colors and Look at Jonah just slipping inside that fish. I'm sure it was just wonderful and peaceful like that. Probably not, right? The truth is that Jonah and the great fish or Jonah and the whale is a very intense and very important, very serious story. And so we're going to just jump right into it. But before we jump into the story here this morning, I want to uh, throw out a couple of questions that I hope that we ask ourselves and that we seek to answer here this morning about the story of Jonah. The first question is, what does this story tell us about us? I think that that's an important question. What does this story tell us about us, about humanity, about ourselves? Or if you want to make it more personal, what does this story tell me about me? 
The second question I want to seek to ask and answer this morning out of the story of Jonah is, what does this story tell us about God? What does this story tell us about ourselves and what does this story tell us about God? In fact, let me just encourage you, in, and this is kind of a little rabbit trail, this has nothing to do with specifically the story itself, but let me just kind of put this out there. Whenever you read God's word, whenever you dig into scripture, it doesn't matter what story you're in, what passage, Old Testament, New Testament, it's about Jesus, it's about some story, some prophet in the Old Testament, does not matter. Let me encourage you that anytime you get into God's word, at minimum, you should ask these two questions. At the minimum, you should ask these two questions. What is this, what I'm reading, what I'm listening to, what is this telling me about me? And what is this telling me about God? Two very important questions as you read God's word, as you read scripture, just filter it through that. So we're going to jump right into Jonah chapter one. It's actually four chapters, so I'm only going to be able to give bits and pieces of the story. I'll try to fill in as I can. But we're going to start in Jonah chapter one, starting with verse one. So right at the very beginning. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up, and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. <laughs> I don't know if you realize, but Jonah must have missed his theology class. <laughs> because he missed the part where God happens to be omnipresent which is a very fancy word for saying he is literally everywhere. He's not kind of in a place, like he's over in China right now, and so he can't be with us, right? God is not really that way, but Jonah missed that. But either way, there's two questions that we're asking, right? And the first question is, what does this story tell us about us? What does this say about ourselves? Well, the obvious clear answer to that one from these first three verses that I read, these first few verses, is when God calls us to do something, when God calls us to be something, when God calls us to change something, sometimes our tendency is to run. Isn't it? Sometimes our tendency is to run, is to get away from God. So in this case, God tells Jonah, I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. And I need you to preach to the entire city and I need you to tell them that I'm going to destroy them because they're wicked. That's a fun message to bring, right? And so Jonah decides he doesn't want to do that. So he gets up and he goes to the port of Joppa. In fact, I have this map. And not only does Jonah go away from Nineveh, he goes as far as he can possibly get, physically speaking, in that time in the world. Okay, Nineveh's 550 miles this way. He gets on a ship that's going to cross the entire Mediterranean Sea all the way to Tarshish, which is on the tip of what we call the Iberian Peninsula, which is now known as Spain. Okay? Literally, you have to understand, they have not even crossed the Atlantic Ocean yet, which is the further west off the map there. So this is about as far as he can get. This is as far as the known world is to them at this point. He's going as far away as he can get from God. Or so he thinks. But that's what he's doing. 
So let me put this in modern terms. If God came to you, one of you, and said, hey, I need you to leave Wanakee, and I want you to go to the city of Nashville, right? Nashville, Tennessee. I'm not comparing Nineveh to Nashville, just so you're clear. I chose it because the mileage works, okay? Hey, let's say that God calls you to go from Wanakee and travel to Nashville. By the way, you don't have cars, right? Jonah didn't have a car. You're going to have to walk or ride a donkey or some other animal, right? So you're going to travel to Nashville by foot or maybe on a donkey. That's going to be a blast. And you're going to share with them this message that they're going to be destroyed. Now, instead, though, you decide that you're going to go the other direction. I have this map. I did a screenshot of this on, on Google Maps, right? You would have to go all the way to southern Alaska, which is 2,500 miles away. Okay, just to put this in your mind, if you were to think about, if you were to do what Jonah did to the Lord. He was saying, no, I'm not going to Nashville. In fact, I'm going to go to Alaska, God, because I want nothing to do with this. That's what Jonah does. See, Jonah was trying to want to run away from God, but, but I think what we need to catch is he's not just physically running away, right? Jonah's not like physically just running. He's doing something that is already in his heart and his soul to do. He's running from God's call on his life. God created Jonah for this purpose and this reason at that time. And Jonah is running from it. He's running from God's call. And the question that I have for us here today is how much parallel do you and I have with Jonah? God calls every one of us. I don't know if you realize that, but God has called you to do something. It's probably not going to go to Nashville and tell them they're going to be destroyed. And I hope you haven't booked a ticket to Alaska unless you're just going on a cruise there or to see the bears or something. But the truth is that God has called every single one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest. He's called every single one of us to do something, to be something. I don't know if you've ever realized this. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this. And I want to be very, very clear on this, this part. Whether or not you're called has nothing to do with whether or not God has called you to be a pastor or to be in full-time ministry. It has zero to do with whether or not God has called you. God has called me to be a pastor, but it has zero to do with the fact of whether or not we've been called by God to be or to do something because of why you're created. The truth is every one of you have a calling on your life. Every one of you. Mine is to be a pastor, but there's a bigger calling that's much more important than being a pastor. And it is, I am called to be God's love and light to everyone around me. Now, am I going to do that perfectly? <laughs> Absolutely not. Not even close. Those of you that know me know I'm not perfect. Man, do I fall short. But the truth is that God's call is on every one of your life. It does not matter whether you're called to be a pastor or not. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or a little bit of money. It doesn't matter where you live, where you don't live. It does not matter what your profession is. Did you realize that your profession has nothing to do with whether or not you're called by God? It has everything to do with how God called you. 
If you're in the marketplace, if you're in the business place and you're not called to be a pastor or a priest, guess what? You're called to have far more influence than I am in the marketplace. Because they'll listen to you way before they're going to listen to me. You realize that? If I come into your workplace as a pastor and be like, hey guys, I want to tell you about God. They're going to be like, uh, no thank you. There's the door. But if you are in your workplace and they know you and respect you and understand you and you work together and you struggle together every day at your job and in your profession, they understand you, they know you and you know them. They're going to hear you far more powerfully than they're ever going to hear me. That's why you're called. That's why you're called. And the question I have for you today is this. Are you running? Are you running from God's call on your life to reach people for Jesus? Are you running? Are you scared? Are you uncomfortable? Are you like Jonah who just didn't want to go? Are you running from God? My guess is you probably haven't booked a ticket to Alaska (laughs) or Tarshish, right? But the way that we tend to run from God, if I were being honest, is we tend to just ignore God, right? We tend to just kind of ignore that he's there. We, we hear his call. We kind of get this sense that he's asking us to invite somebody, you know, to church or, or that there's somebody that we need to go up to and just check and see if they're okay or whatever the case is. And sometimes God's call comes onto our life and we ignore it. And we just push it away because we don't want to get into that. We're, it's, it's awkward. We're uncomfortable. We don't want to bring it up. And we sometimes run from God. So my question to you is, are you running? And I'll just leave it at that. and let you wrestle a little bit with that one. So let's go back to the story of Jonah. So let me give you a quick summary because we have two chapters in here before where I can read again. So let me just summarize two chapters very quickly. Can you imagine that a pastor summarizing something quickly? That's kind of an oxymoron. (laughs) I get that. I'm going to do my best. So Jonah books a ticket because he's running from God, and he books his ticket to get on the ship that's going to Tarshish, right? So he gets on the ship, and they leave the port of Joppa. They're headed across the Mediterranean Sea, and God cannot allow Jonah to run from his call on his life. And so God creates this massive storm. Have you ever had God create a storm in your life? We don't like it. We don't like it. I don't like it. But that's what God did. God brought a storm around Jonah's ship. And the sailors were scared because they've never seen a storm like this, ever. And so they're struggling and they can't make any ground. They can't take any water to where in the direction that they're going. They can't even make it to land. They know they have to make it to land or else they're going to be destroyed. And so they decide, they try to figure out whose fault this is. Okay? And I'm not going to go into detail about how they do that, but they try to figure out whose fault this is. They're like, whose fault is this that we have this massive storm on us? And they realize, they figure it out. I won't go into detail, but they figure out that it's Jonah. And so they go to Jonah and they say, hey, we've decided that you're the problem. (laughs) Isn't that an exciting conversation? You're the problem. And and Jonah admits and he says, you know what? I am the problem. I'm running from God. And they're like, why are you doing this? Why did you get on our ship? Basically, that's what I'm paraphrasing. But they're like, come on, Jonah. 
So they asked Jonah, what should we do to you? <laughs> Seriously, what should we do to you? Because we, we're going to die. And Jonah says, the only way to solve this problem is for you to throw me overboard. Because God probably will sink this ship. And so you have to throw me overboard. Well, the people on the ship, they don't want to kill him. They don't want to kill Jonah. And so they, they struggle against the storm. They struggle, they struggle, struggle, but they still can't get to land. And so they realize the only thing to do is to do what Jonah told them to do, which is to throw him over into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And so they do. And of course, as we know, it's called Jonah and the fish or Jonah and the whale. And so God provides this huge fish is what it actually describes in the Bible. This huge fish or sea creature to come in and swallow him. And he swallows Jonah and Jonah has to live inside this fish. (laughs) That's a lot of fun. For a long time until Jonah finally, this is when when God finally says, hey, you need to spit him out. He doesn't allow Jonah to be spit out until Jonah prays this prayer of forgiveness and repentance. He says, God, I messed up. I'll go to Nineveh. And so God says, okay, spit him out. There he goes, out onto dry land. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh and he starts preaching to the people of Nineveh, just as God told him to do. And so at this point, Jonah preaches. He says, you need to turn from your wicked ways. You need to turn from your violence. You need to turn from this. Otherwise, God's going to destroy you. And I want to read to you what happens next. It's really quite a miracle. Jonah chapter 3, starting with verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrows. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Now, just stop. This sounds weird, but I just want you, this is not something that we would do, but I want us to understand that the king and all the people are doing this because this is how they show their grief and their mourning. This is what they do when they realize they're wrong and they need to make something right. This is what they do. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. That's what a true fast is. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So again, remember the questions we're asking. What does this tell us about us? Well, one thing that this very powerfully makes a statement to you and I is, as human beings, one of the first things, one of the only things, in fact, really the only response we can have when God calls us to change something, when God calls us to repent, is that we need to repent. Now, how many of you have used the word repent in the last week? Probably none of us. We don't think of that word. We don't use that word. We don't, we, don't, we don't even consider this word, right? It's probably a word that we should, but it's not a word that we think about all that often. So when I say the word repent, this is what I mean. What I mean is a genuine, authentic apology, like sorry. Genuinely. Followed up by a change in behavior. Because we all know that I'm sorry is only as good as 
something that is willing to be changed. Right? Let me put it in a more practical term. In our family, whether it's with our kids or Laura and I, when we do something wrong or when we mess up or when we, you know, do something that's just not right or words that are, you know, we shouldn't, shouldn't have said or anything like that, then two things must happen. Now, trust me, Laura and I are way far from perfect. <laughs> so we require this of our children, we require this of each other, but we're not perfect at it. But two things must happen. The first thing that must happen is we have to give a very quick and immediate apology, and it has to be genuine. The way that we try, there's no way to force somebody to be genuine and say, nope, I don't think that was quite genuine enough. Let's do it again. Now we do that, <laughs> but you can't really force authenticity. But one way that we do is when we say we're sorry, if one of the kids did something to the other kids and they have to apologize, we, have to, we make sure that they say, I'm sorry for, and then they describe in detail what they did wrong. They'd have to describe in detail. If they say, I'm sorry, you have to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Nope. In fact, that's what they'll hear mom and dad say. We'll, we'll look at them, we'll say, uh, no. And then they'll be like, oh. Because <sighs> they don't want to do it. Uh, none of us like to do it, right? And they hem and they haw and they, nope, say you're sorry and then say what you're sorry for. And I need to hear it out loud and you need to look them in the eyes. It has to be authentic. It has to be genuine. But then after that, we have a conversation with our kids. <laughs> or if it's Laura and I that did wrong to each other, then we have to have a conversation amongst ourselves. That's always exciting too. And we have to talk about the fact that now the behavior must change. Right? Because we're not truly sorry until we're willing to change your behavior. Isn't that true? And so repentance, the word repent, literally means not only to be genuinely sorry, but also to turn from your ways. And this is what the people of Nineveh did. Not only did they repent, not only did they make themselves humble and put on sackcloth and, and sit on ashes and all this stuff that they do when they're grieving and mourning, so they're genuinely sorry, but they turned away from their violence. In fact, I didn't tell you something about the people of Nineveh. Another term for them from history is the Assyrians. And if you've ever learned of the Assyrians, most of you probably could care less <laughs> about the Assyrians, and that's okay. But if you learn about the Assyrians, the Assyrians were incredibly violent, unbelievably violent. If you look them up in history, you will find out things that you never want to hear about a group of people. The people of Nineveh were part of the Assyrian Empire. In fact, it's the capital of the Assyrian Empire, enemies of Israel. And so they turned from their evil, violent ways. And Jonah now has preached... And the people of Nineveh repent, but now I want to go to this question of what happens next. Because it's very interesting, Jonah's response to their repentance. Jonah chapter 4, starting with verse 1. I should say this before I read this. God's love is great. Most of you realize that. God's love is unfathomably big. And so when the people of Nineveh repent, 
God does what only God can do. He forgives them. He, he gives them mercy. And he says, okay, I'm not going to destroy you. Because of God's great love. And so listen to what Jonah's response is to this. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans, this forgiveness of God, greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. Now we know the real reason he ran. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. He's like condemning God for being good. (laughs) Do you notice that? He's like, I can't believe you. Why would you forgive them? Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. What he's saying is, I want you to destroy them. That's what he's saying. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? I want you to notice something very important about this story and about Jonah. Jonah ran to Tarshish, not because he was scared of the Assyrians, not because, you know, it was just inconvenient and it's like, well, it's a long way. I don't know if I want to travel that far. The real reason Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because he thought, he thought, he wasn't sure, but he thought, if I go there and I preach this message to the Ninevites, to the people of the Assyrian Empire, if I do this, then God will probably forgive them if they repent. And I don't want to see them saved. You realize that that's what Jonah is saying. He said, I don't want to see them come to Christ. I don't want to see them find salvation. I don't want to see them saved. I don't care about them. That's what he's saying. I don't care about these people. In fact, a little bit of history, the Assyrians are actually bitter enemies of Israel. In fact, just a few years, like, I don't know, 30-some years after this, the Assyrians are going to be the empire, the group of people that will come in and conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. The Assyrians will enslave them. Jonah hates these people. That's really what's going on here. He hates them. It's a, it's a lack of compassion problem. And I wonder sometimes... If our apathy toward God and our apathy toward people, I wonder sometimes if it doesn't come out of a lack of genuine compassion and care for the souls of other people and for God. Like Jonah. I wonder if it comes down to the fact that we would rather be comfortable and safe than on fire for God and to see people saved. That's an issue. And so God shows us this disparity, this problem between a people who are supposed to be the enemies of Israel, God's chosen people, and then this one guy who's this barrier. Right? Because God's love is great. God clearly wanted salvation for the people of Nineveh. Can you see that? God sent Jonah because God knew, Jonah, you 
are a great speaker. You can convince the people. You are going to let them know that they're going to be destroyed and they'll listen to you. And so they're going to repent. This is going to be great. God wanted to save them because his love is powerful. In fact, let me just read about God's love for a minute because it's important for us to understand. In fact, we asked that question, what does this tell us about God? Jonah's story tells us something very important about God's love. Ephesians chapter 3 describes his love. Verses 18 and 19, listen to what it says. It says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, although it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. There's this great disparity in Jonah, in the story of Jonah. On one hand, we have God's unfathomable, unfailing love, who even forgives the people of Nineveh. And on the other hand, we have Jonah, who's supposed to be the prophet of God. Literally, the book is named after Jonah. It's called the book of Jonah, He's supposed to be the messenger for God. And on this side, we have his dislike, his hatred for this group of people. He doesn't want to see them saved. We have this disparity, God's love and Jonah's hatred for these people. So this brings up, how is this relevant to you and I? Well, it's incredibly relevant. Because I want to ask you a question. And I've asked this question once before, but I, it bears repeating. And the question is, have you ever thought to wonder why God has put into your life people who don't yet know God or don't yet know Jesus? Have you ever thought to just stopped and thought and wondered Why are there people in my family? Why are there people in my circle of friends? Why are there people at work who are far from God? Why do I have to deal with them? Can I answer that for you? The answer is because God loves you and God loves them a lot. You're in the place that you are and the people are in the realm and your sphere of influence because you are God's bridge, God's connection, God's love, God's expression to them. Do you realize that? You are their Jonah. You are their Jonah. Think about it. Anybody who's in your life, it doesn't matter. There's probably quite a few. There's probably some family members, there's probably some friends, and there's probably some co-workers and other people that you cross paths with, maybe on the soccer fields or football fields or baseball fields. Whatever it is, there are people in your life who are far from Jesus. They could care less about God. And guess why they're in your life? They're in your life because you're Jonah. And my question is, do you care? Do you care? What have you done to reach them and help them understand who Jesus is and how much God loves them? Have you done anything? 
I'm not asking condemning. I'm asking, have you? What have you done? Jonah wanted nothing to do with these people. He pushed them away and he pushed God away. And my question for you is, are you more worried about your comfort or about God's kingdom work? Because here's the truth. Can I be just really open and honest with you? The truth is, when I hesitate from sharing about my faith with somebody or inviting somebody to church, or if I see that they need something for whatever reason, whatever the case, the, the, usually the time, there are some times when I'm just unaware and I just miss it. Okay, I'll, I'll be honest about that. There are some times when I just, maybe I'm too busy or whatever the case is and still, still not right, still wrong, but sometimes I just miss it. But more often than not, when I know that God is calling me to reach out to somebody or share my faith with them or invite them to church or whatever the case is, I find that what makes me struggle is that I'm worried about what they're going to do when I bring up God. I worry about their response. I worry if they're going to get mad. I worry if our relationship is going to be done. I worry about if it's going to be awkward from here on out. You know what I'm saying? I worry about that. My guess is there's probably some of that in here as well with you guys. And my question is, are you more concerned about yourself and your comfort and your safety than seeing people come to Christ? And I know I have to wrestle with that on a daily basis. And my hope is that you do too. And that you come out on the side of doing God's work. Now, I wanted to share that this story is very powerful for me. One of the reasons it's powerful is because I see a lot of parallels between Jonah and my own life. I have run from God many times. I have. Not literally like, again, it wasn't as dramatic. I didn't get swallowed by a fish. I didn't jump on a ship, right? I, I didn't do all that stuff. But I ran from God. I ignored God's call on my life. I've done it many times. I'm not proud of it, but I have. One of the times is when God called me into full-time ministry out of being a public school teacher. I wrestled with that. I struggled with it for months. And it was because I ran from it. In fact, I ran from it. In my opinion, there's a potential that I ran from it for even years when God was trying to call me and I just wasn't listening. Another time was when God called me after he called me into ministry. He wanted me to go into children's ministry. <laughs> I've told this part of my story before. You guys have heard it. I, I was offered a children's ministry position like four, maybe five times in a row within the span of like a year. And I said no to every one of them. I did not get the hint. I'm thick, right? It's like God says, come on, dude. I called you into ministry? What was I thinking? No, I got, he doesn't make mistakes, right? But I mean, he, he, he's, he's saying, come on, are you kidding? In fact, the finally, the, the children's ministry position that I finally did accept, I talked to the senior pastor three times on the phone for an hour each time. And on the third time, I turned him down. I said, you know what? This sounds great. This is all great. Man, everything seems to be lined up. I, I don't think I could come. And you know what he did? 
I need to, I, I actually was convicted of this this week, so I'm going to have to make this call or write a letter or something this week. I have to follow up with this. So you guys can ask me next week if I did this, because this week I need to do it. I need to write a thank you to Pastor Steve for this. After I turned him down, he wrote a three-page email to me, basically explaining why I was wrong. (laughs) Seriously. Blew me away. And after I read that, I went to Laura and I said, you know what, I was wrong. We're wrong. We need to go. And he was right. And I did children's ministry, even though I still to this day is like, what? Crazy. I ran from God. I was running. I was running. I didn't want anything to do with what he was calling me to do. I didn't think I could do it. And the third time, it's not the only three times, by the way. I'm just picking some of the big ones. (laughs) The third time was when God called me to move here to Dane County and plant a church. I struggled with that. Let me just tell you that quite often God will change your plans. And he's going to make it uncomfortable. It's not going to be what you wanted or what you designed your life to be. In fact, let me get really practical. I wasn't supposed to preach today. I wasn't supposed to preach today. Pastor Chris is supposed to be preaching today. So this, the middle of the week, Laura and I are with our family. We're headed up to the Dells, just spend a couple of nights up there just to get away. And I got a message that somebody that's close to their family has passed away and they, they're not sure or that it's, he was about to pass away, and they weren't sure if you know, he was going to make it through the night, and so there was the possibility that they were going to have to leave. So I said, okay. The next day, sure enough, he passed, and they say, yeah, we've got to go out to Wyoming for the funeral and, and be there for family. I said, absolutely. And so on Wednesday, I'm sitting in this hotel room. Laura and the kids are sleeping, so it's late in, late in the evening. And I sit down to start reading Jonah. I was like, well, we're preaching on Jonah. I should probably read the story now. (laughs) I've read it plenty of times before, but I need to (laughs) reacclimate. So I sit down and I start reading Jonah chapter 1. And I, I didn't even get three verses. I didn't even get to the third verse. I actually got through the third verse, I think. I didn't get to verse 4. Before God just started flooding my heart and my mind with thoughts and ideas and things that he wanted me to say. Sometimes this happens, but not, not often. And I just started getting these things down. But then the second thing that God did was he overwhelmed me with the sense, and he said, you need to trust me. I needed you to preach today. And then I go through, and I realize as I'm going through the, the story, there's a perfect song, a perfect worship song to end the service with. And, and God just plants it on my heart. Like, it came literally out of nowhere. God just goes, boom, that's the song, okay? By the way, he doesn't normally do that either. (laughs) Our final song is not like, "Woo, God ordained, it floated out of the sky, right? But this time, he did. He flattened me with it, slammed me with it, said, this is the song. And so I'm gearing up to write a message to our worship band to say, whatever you had planned, we're changing it. Wednesday night is a really late in the game to be doing this, by the way. Okay? 
You just don't do that. And so I, I gear up to write this message, and I say, you know what? I should probably check the plan of what we originally had for songs. And I looked at the, the thing, and we have the songs where they're supposed to be in the service, and wouldn't you know it that the song that God laid on my heart is already planted right after the message. I lost it. I lost it. And by that, I mean, just so that we're clear men in the room, it means I cried. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I don't mind telling you that I'm embarrassed to even have to admit that, that while my family is sleeping, I'm alone in a hotel room on spring break, crying my eyes out over my stupid computer where I see this song and God is laying it all in my lap. And I'm going, okay, God, you got it. See, the truth is, God will change your plans all the time. And I need you to understand something. God needs us to understand something. There are people in your life who are headed to an eternity without God. And God is asking you, do you care? Do you care? And let me just get really honest with you. If you're not doing anything, I mean nothing, to share the love of Jesus with people in your life, then you don't care. I'm just being honest. Then you don't. So I'm answering the question for you. If you haven't done anything about it, then you don't care. Because if you did, you would do something. Don't let fear, don't let this world, this culture that says we have to be politically correct scare you away from the fact that you should share your hope and your joy and your peace and your power in your life with those who don't have it. It is pure evil to not share it. Don't be like Jonah who didn't want repentance, who didn't want to see the people saved. So I don't know why God wanted me to preach today. And by the way, just so you know, there's going to be a time that comes, maybe even in the near future, where I'm not supposed to preach and God has to plant Pastor Chris or somebody else in here. So it has nothing to do with whether or not I'm supposed to preach. It has everything to do with I need to preach today for this time, for whatever reason. You are in the position you're in. You're in the profession that you're in. You're in the house that you're in. You're in the family that you're in. You were not born into your family by accident. You were not born into the neighborhood or, or living in the house that you're in by accident. You're not in the profession that you're in by accident. Do you realize this? That the people in your life need Jesus and you are their Jonah. You are their Jonah. And this can't be more timely, by the way. Again, I wasn't even planning to preach today, but this can't be more timely because Easter is on our doorstep, isn't it? Did you know that the two times when people who are far from God at least will think about God is Christmas and Easter? Most of the time, they could care less. They usually care less at Christmas and Easter too. But if they're going to think about it at all, Christmas and Easter is when they're going to do it. Here we are on the cusp, on the, on the heels of Easter right now. So there's an opportunity. What does God want to do through you to be their Jonah?
to be the bridge to a love that wants to reach them. So my question to you is this. Are you running? Are you running from God? Have you taken up his call on your life? Because every one of us has it. Maybe it's not called to be full-time ministry like me. That's okay. We are all called. If you are a follower of Jesus, we are all called to give our lives to him and to be the love and the bridge to them. God's love is unfathomable. It's reckless. It's unfailing. It will never end. And he's always chasing you. Do you realize that? Some of you, that might scare you. But God is always chasing you, going after you, breaking down walls. And he wants to do that for the people around you as well who are far from him. So will you stop running? And by the way, if you are running, just make sure you're running to God. Just make sure you're running to God. And do what you need to do. Let's pray.